All right. Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Deuteronomy uh, chapter 9. And um, for those of you that are sharp, how many of you here are sharp? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. You know, we've already, we've already studied this as a congregation. I found that out today. Last time we were in Deuteronomy, Brother Rich actually shared Deuteronomy 9 and 10. But uh, for some reason, it wasn't posted to the website. And so I went on the website. So, oh, okay, that's where we're at. And so um, I, I found out today when we were making labels that we've already gone through this as a congregation. So I had two choices. I could wing it maybe on something else uh, or I could teach it to you again. And so I figured, you know what, it doesn't hurt uh, to go through it again. As a matter of fact, I, I know the Lord is sovereign and even in our, in our mess ups. It's amazing how he is because there's some things about the study tonight that I think we need to hear even in getting ready for our afterglow uh, tonight. Because look what we read here in verse 1. It says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. And most of you probably know Moses is on you know, the other side of the Jordan. The children of Israel have been wandering in the wilderness for about 40 years. And now it's actually time. Wow, they're going to enter into the promised land. Beautiful time in their history. The book of Deuteronomy was given, they say, maybe within a 30-day period, maybe two-month period, in which Moses pretty much repeated the law, and he reviewed the history of Israel. And as he's getting ready to die, he's giving them his last words. If you remember when we began the book of Deuteronomy, you know, we kind of thought about that. You know, Moses, one of the greatest men that's ever lived, and here he is giving his last words. Last words mean something, and they really do, especially, you know, those individuals who've been walking with the Lord, and they know what it's all about. They've been through it. Here they are at the end, trying to tell us who are in the middle of our journey the things that are really important in life, so that one day when we die, if the Lord tarries, we'll have no woulda, coulda, shouldas, man. We'll have no regrets. Why? Because we'll have no reserves. That God right now is speaking to us, and for us, I think even as a church, and I don't know for many of you here as individuals, I really believe that the Lord is just, man, he's just about to, to allow us to cross over into the promised land. When you came out of Egypt, that was a time when you got saved. And I thank God for that day. That's the one that's most important. But now I believe God is calling us into a life of victorious Christian living. It's a life of consistency, not perfection, but it's a life in which God allows us to enjoy this beautiful relationship that we have with God. You know, I think a lot of times, even as Christians, we get frustrated, you know, and, and we're not enjoying this Christianity. We've got burdens and we've got, you know, all these things that we're carrying around and, and God doesn't really want us to. He says, you can't carry it. You can't. Let me carry it for you. Let me take you into the promised land. Again, not a life in which you're not going to sin. We're still going to mess up in life. 
But it's a life in which we constantly look to him and he is our strength and he is our source and he is our everything. And all the things that get in the way, the flesh, the world, the enemy, God says, I am going to give you victory over them. And that's where the children of Israel were at right now. He says, you guys are about to go in to this land. And here he gives them the promise. It's the, in the power of the Lord, the children of Israel were going to dispossess nations that were greater than themselves, greater cities, greater citizens. You know, I wonder how many of you are here today, maybe a little frustrated because you're just thinking, man, I can't get over that hump. I can't get past this giant. And God says, yeah, I just wanted to prove to you who you are apart from me. And now that you know that, now that that's kind of all settled, I am going to blow them down. I'm going to give you victory, and you're going to walk the way that I want you to walk. You know, right here he talks about nations that were greater. In verse 2, people great and tall, the descendants right there of Anakim. And those were the tribes of giants that dwelt primarily in southern Canaan. And these were the ones that initially the children of Israel were most afraid of the first time they saw them when they spied out the land. They said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And yeah, it's amazing. There's fortified cities there and that would be a struggle. But the main thing, the main problem was the descendants of Anakim. The giants, this was the one that made them tremble. And right here Moses said, you know what? I'm, I, will, I will defeat them for you, the Lord says. I will give you the victory. The Lord would go before them. We see that there in verse 3. Understand today, right now, I want you guys to know this. That the Lord your God, he goes before you as, notice, a consuming fire. And, and for us, you guys, and I just want to encourage you in this. Let the Lord do it, man. Let the Lord do it. You know, I know there's an aggressive cooperation that takes place, but when you try to do it in your own strength, you know, you don't allow the Lord to do it. You don't acknowledge your own weakness. You don't cry out to him. Then, you know what? We can get in the way. But if we let the Lord do it, then he will defeat the giants that are before us. You can always tell whether or not it's you or him. It's whether or not you're having the victory. And if you're not possessing the victory, it's not because you're not good enough. It's because you're not allowing the Lord to do the work. See, the Lord is for us. The Lord is in our corner. The Lord loves us. I know a lot of times we think, well, he doesn't love me because I'm really bad. You know what? We're all bad, right? All of us here. Some of you are really bad. I've seen you guys, man. <laughs> But you know what? If you let him come in and if you let him fight for you, then it's an amazing thing what God will do. He'll bless you. You know, as a Christian, he wants to bless you. He wants to lift your countenance, man. He wants to put spring in your step. He wants to give you joy for the journey, peace for the path. But the way that we do it is we have to allow the Lord to do the work. And, you know, a lot of times we think, well, you know, it's not happening because I'm not good enough. I would venture to say most of you here probably have that type of mentality. It's not happening because I'm not good enough. And if I get gooder, then you know it's going to happen. <laughs> and, and you know what? Look what Moses says next. He says in verse 4, Do not think in your heart, after the Lord your God has cast them out, before you saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. <laughs> 
But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you, and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, understand that the Lord your God has not given you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. I don't know about you, but that describes me pretty good, man. A lot of times, you know, when we don't really uh, allow this Christianity to click, that we can become a a stiff-necked people. And when God ever does begin to do a work in our life, and we ever do begin to kind of, you know, put the things together the way they should be, it's not us. It's totally the Lord. And so he just wants them to know that when you go into the land, you know, don't think it's because you were so great. It's because God is so great. You know what that does? It takes a little bit of pressure off of me to perform. I mean, don't get me wrong, you guys. I I want to obey and I want to do what's right. But that's not what's going to earn my way into the promised land. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the blood that he shed on Calvary, period. And when we trust in him, he changes our life. And that's what the Lord tells the children of Israel. And it's an illustration for all of us here. Moses gives the root reason, the real reason the children of Israel are going in. And when we see the text right here, you're going to see three reasons. Number one, the people that were there were really bad. Number two, he had made a promise that he was going to keep. And number three, because of the grace and the love and the mercy he has towards his people. You know, the primary reason was the wickedness of the people. We see that first of all. If you go over real quick to Deuteronomy 12, look at these people, man. Verse 31, it says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, speaking of those nations, for every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. I mean, the people there were literally burning their children, you see. And some people wonder, well, why did God wipe them out? Because they were doing stuff like that. If you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 18, look what it says in verse 9. It says, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. Therefore, there shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. I mean, look at the things they were doing. Just absolutely wicked and demonic. And so God speaks very clearly through Moses. And he says this, it wasn't the righteousness of the children of Israel for which they were rewarded. They were actually a stiff-necked people, and that means they were a stubborn people. It was because God was going to judge the land. He had made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and because God is a gracious and loving God. 
You know, and for us, you know, we see the same thing happen in our own life. You know, thank God for the, the Lord Jesus Christ and we've entered into this new covenant with Him and because of Him, God blesses us and God extends the goodness towards us. Moses goes on and he kind of gets specific with them because maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, I don't know about me. I'm not that bad, Manny. You know, but if God were to expose your sins, I bet you there would be a long list, huh? Yeah, I told you guys last week not to sin today, right? How many of you follow through with that? <laughs> oh, man, I tried. I tried, but, you know, about five minutes after I woke up, I, I think uh, something happened. But verse 7, he says, Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Wow. From the day they came out, 40 years later, here they are. How many of you have been Christian for 40 years? Just out of curiosity. You might be able to relate to this. Anyways, the first eight, it says, Also, in Horeb you provoked the Lord to wrath, so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you. When I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant, which the Lord made with you, then I stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of 40 days and 40 nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. And then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here. For your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed, they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone, that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. God says, remember, there in verse 7. He says, do not forget. You know, lest one day we think we earned it. God says, I want you to remember this. And if you look back at the history of Israel, it was awful, even from the very beginning. In verse 8, Moses specifically mentions the incident at Horeb. If you guys remember, this was a terrible sin of idolatry when the people were impatient with God and his servant Moses. And when Moses was up on the mountain, they fashioned an idol, a golden calf, and they worshipped it. You can read that in Exodus 32. When you read the story, you see Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law. Think about that. Receiving a personal copy of God's law in written form that God was going to keep the people to this covenant according to Exodus 19. But while Moses was up the mountain on their behalf, down the mountain there were the people, stiff-necked, rebellious, breaking the very laws that the Lord was in the process of giving. And when you read the story, it's like God had just about had it. He was ready and he was willing and he would have been just to at that point in history destroy them. You know, and I know I can identify with that where, you know, especially me, you know, and some of you guys here, you know, you know the word of God, man, you know, and God has spoken to you and God has ministered to you and he's revealed himself to you. We are so accountable. And then, you know, we go and we do these things 
you know, and, you know, if God gave us what we deserved at that point in history, you know, we, we, we would be gone. And that's what the Lord said, that that's what they deserved. Look again what we read in verse 14. God says right there, Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven. And God said, I will make of you, Moses, a nation greater and mightier. But read in verse 15, So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. And then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes, and I fell down before the Lord. Notice what Moses does, though. He fell down before the Lord as at the first 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. And so I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. And then I took your sin, the calf which you made, and burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw its dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. And if you guys remember, what he did next is he took it out and he made him drink it. <laughs> it's funny. Moses is a picture of who? Jesus, huh? I mean, when you see Moses here standing in the gap for the people, you see Moses here fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, you see the people totally way out there. Even Aaron joined in the rebellion. It's an amazing thing. But Moses totally stood out, huh? And Moses is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. If it were not for him, right now you and I would be judged. But Jesus has given us hope. And Jesus has given us life. Here Moses reminds them of their unholy history. And God is saying to them, I think to us as well, remember, it's not because of your goodness, it's because of mine. It's not because of you, it's because of me. God would do the work. And at the same time, I think in reading the text right here, it's something that we can learn from. God did use the man Moses. God said, hey, I'm going to destroy them. I'll raise up from you, Moses, a nation even greater. But Moses came down the mountain. He saw what happened, and he dealt with the sin very, very appropriately. You know, Moses was very angry. Think about it. He took those two tablets, and he threw them down, and he broke them. And, you know, it's okay to be angry sometimes at sin. Uh, Psalm 711, that's an easy one to remember, right? 711, you guys know what it says? It says, God's angry with the wicked every single day. I mean, it's okay to be angry at sin and yet not sin. And that was Moses' response. He did what was right. He broke the tables of the law physically since they had broken the truths of the law spiritually. And then he fell down before the Lord and prayed for the people. He even fasted. Think about it. I mean, maybe some of you here fasted today, right? And you're thinking, oh, I can't handle this. You know, I can't wait until after, you know, service. <laughs> Try going 40 days, man. I mean, definitely a supernatural fast, 
But that tells you what type of man he was, what type of leader he was. And I was even thinking about this, you know, for me and for those of you here who find yourselves with certain responsibilities. You could be a husband or a leader of ministry or whatever. I mean, do you ever fast? I mean, you see the sins that your kids are doing or you see the sins that are going on and whoever it is that you find yourself criticizing. Question, do you, what do you do? Do you just you know, yell at them and and get frustrated and complain? Or would you be willing to fall on your face and pray for 40 days? See, that's what God wants. Uh, I know Moses here is a picture of Christ, but he's also an example for all of us as Christians. What a difference it makes when you stand in the gap. What a difference it makes. You may think, well, they're not saved yet. Yeah, but they're still alive. (laughs) Maybe if it wasn't for your prayers that you think are futile, they'd be dead by now. But God's kept them alive. And one day, you may not see it, but one day they're going to come to Jesus Christ. Because we see what a difference it makes when somebody stands in the gap. Don't stop praying for your loved ones. Don't stop praying for them. What a difference it makes when the heart is honest and they do it for the glory of God. You know, but Moses dealt with his sin. He melted down the golden calf. He ground it into powder. In one sense, symbolic of eradicating the evil. He cast it into the river. And according to Exodus 32.20, he made the people drink it. I think it was for fiber purposes or something like that. You know, <laughs> Again, symbolically saying this, that there are still consequences for forgiven sin. You're going to have to drink it. So be careful. We must all eat the fruit of our own doings because the Bible says whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. You know, when you look at this here, you see such a huge contrast between Moses and the congregation, even between Moses and his brother Aaron. Moses was a very much different leader than his brother, wasn't he? Aaron was not willing or wanting or stable or able to restrain the people. He didn't have that anointing on his life. But Moses did. And Moses was. You know, this obviously wouldn't be easy. Why? Because they were a stiff-necked people. And that wasn't the only thing. We read in verse 22, it says, Also at Taborah and Massa and Kibroth, Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him nor obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. You know, and for us, you know, I don't know how you guys are. You know, we don't want to look back at our our old life or even our life as Christians and dwell on it for too long. But it's kind of good every once in a while to remind yourself in order to stay humble. You know, because none of us here have earned this thing. You know, God gave us the cross and the blood and the life when we were his enemies. And he still blesses us even though we're not worthy. You know, and you know... Peter talks about it, that the one who forgets that, you know, he's not going to grow. But when you remember, there's that ladder of virtues, you will grow. Because it's the love of God that changes us. 
It's the love of God. I remember, you know, the Lord taught me that lesson, you know, where I blow it and I blow it and I blow it. And, you know, I don't do that lightly. But then I look over my shoulder and, and then God says, I'm still here. And, and I'm still here. And I remember, I'll never forget the day. It was like a turning point in my life where I really felt like he wore me down with his love. And, he said, and I said to him, you're really not going away, huh? He said, no, I'm not. You're my son. You're my daughter. And when that light turns on, it changes us from the inside out. You know, he tells them, remember Tabera? We read that incident in Numbers chapter 11 where the people were complaining. In that case, they were just complaining because life was hard. The hardships and the mixed multitude that were stirring things up, they began to complain. And so God sent fire to burn them. Once again, Moses prayed and God heard his prayer. Right there, we read about Masa. They were making tortillas right there. No, I'm just joking. No. <laughs> no, this incident right here is in Exodus chapter 17 when the people contended with Moses and they complained and they accused Moses of leading them out only to kill them. They were worried that there was no water. They were unbelieving. They tested God, which is what masa means. It means to try and to test. So remember that next time you have your tortillas, okay? And then he mentions kibrath hatava. This literally means graves of craving, lust, and gluttony. And when you read the story there, they not only lusted after the meat, but when God gave them their request, they indulged in it. That was a problem, man. You know, God sent them the meat, but then they were just like, ah, animals, you know. And then they paid the price. We read in Numbers 11.33 that while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people. And I'll never forget the Bible's commentary on that. It says he gave them their requests, but sent leanness to their soul. What would you rather have, uh, the physical meat or the spiritual of course, we know he mentions Kadesh Barnea. This was a place where the children of Israel finally, formally doubted God. After seeing the giants in the land and the large and fortified cities, and so God sentenced them to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. You know, there were other incidents that Moses could have mentioned, but I, I think we get the message, huh? We read here in verse 24, he says, You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. And so we read, Moses said, I prostrated myself before the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. I kept prostrating myself because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Therefore, I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your inheritance, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not look on the stubbornness of this people or on the wickedness of their sin, lest the land from which you brought us should say, because the Lord was not able to bring them to the land which he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to kill them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people and your inheritance, whom you brought out by your mighty power and by your outstretched arm. We kind of get a little window into Moses' prayer, his intercessory prayers. And, you know, as he's there just prostrating himself on his face, 
You know, he mentioned some things that are very, very important for you as you intercede for individuals. You know, he had a genuine love for the Lord and he had a genuine love for the people. He was real. He was not just a man wanting some position. It was a calling on his life. It was true. It was genuine. The love of God had been poured into his heart. And so he stood in the gap and the people were preserved. You know, and as we read the Bible, we definitely see the heartfelt intercession that he has. You know, I encourage you to know what a difference it makes. In Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31, it talks about how God was looking for somebody to stand in the gap, but he found no one, and so he judged the people. Here we see Moses did stand in the gap, and you should stand in the gap. Moses loved the Lord, he loved the people, and he knew very well that the purpose of the ministry and the purpose of our life is the glory of God. And, you know, he says right here, Lord, I know you're a God who keeps your covenant. I mean, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And when you're praying for your loved ones, tell the Father, remember Jesus? That covenant you made with him? You know, bring them up. Bring up the Lord. And tell the Lord, I beg you, preserve the people. Lord, be glorified. Because if the people would have been judged, there's two things he mentions right here. Number one, the world will think you're not able And number two, the world might even think that you don't really love. You hate them. And you know, as we walk in victory, and as you pray for the Lord to move in the lives of those individuals around you, it's so cool because that is a testimony, huh, of God's power. So many of you here were in bondage and addicted and all that crazy stuff, and your priorities were all discombobulated, right? And then you came to the Lord, and then people see the power of God in your life that you're not just going through a phase, but there's power in your walk, and God is glorified. Not only that, they see how much God really does love as you love them as well. And so Moses is praying that. And he also prayed something very important. He said, Lord, they're your people. Can I give them back to you? (laughs) Because remember back in verse 12, look what the Lord said to Moses. It says, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt (laughs) have acted corruptly. It's kind of funny. The Lord says they're your people. Maybe he's testing Moses. I don't know. But they're not Moses' people. This isn't my church. Sometimes you hear people say that, and, you know, I just cringe because it's just like a a common, you know, way of communicating, oh, we went to Greg Laurie's church. It's not Greg Laurie's church, and they're not Greg Laurie's people. We do have a responsibility as leaders to serve and to stand in the gap, but you belong to God, right? And Moses says, Lord, they're not mine. (laughs) They're yours. And he mentions it two times here. And you need to know that as well. You know, as we go through our study right here, we're not going to have time to go into chapter 10, but as we go through our study right here, I think the Lord really just communicates to us tonight that he he wants to take us into the promised land. You know, he wants to give us a life of victorious Christian living. But the thing is, and the reason why many of us are not there yet is because we've been trying to do it on our own strength and even in our own goodness. And God said, listen, it's not your goodness that's going to make a difference. I mean, don't get me wrong. You, you know, love the Lord and obey Him and, you know, yield to Him, surrender to Him. But the blessings of, of God and the power of God to even walk that walk, 
they come upon us because of his goodness and his grace. And that's why even if you had a rough day today, if you're here and if you're willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, I come to you, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Then God says, cool, I'll meet you there. And I tell you what, I'll touch your life and I'll bless your life. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord. Father, I know, Lord, you are an awesome God and you're so different than I am. I just pray, Lord, that you would bless your people here. Thank you for your church, your beautiful church, your beautiful, beautiful bride that you love. And we know one day, Lord, we'll be finished, we'll be complete because you began this good work in us. And you called us and you're faithful to complete it, Lord. And so, Lord, tonight as we um, seek you, as we desire for you to move, uh, we might look back at our life and say, wow, I've blown it and I haven't been... You know, this and that and the husband and the dad and just so many things. And I I just want to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. I know, Lord, there are going to be elements of drinking that, the fruit of my own doings. But tonight, Lord God, we do not lose heart. For you are doing a new work. There's a new moment of history in the children of Israel. You're going to bring them in, the promised land. Or let that be our testimony as well. Lord, let your spirit fall on us today. And if there's anyone here today, maybe they don't know you. Maybe they're sitting here in their sin and they don't want to change. God, I pray you would change their heart. And Lord, for all of us here, that there would be that willingness. There would be that hunger and that thirst for righteousness. But we do love you. We do thank you. And we do look to you now. I pray, Lord, you would now just take your word and by your spirit, you build up your people. Build us up, Father God. Stir us up, Father God. Even cheer us up. If there's anyone here who's down and out and depressed and stressed and and pressed, Father God, I just pray your Holy Spirit will just lift them up tonight. That's why we're here, Lord. We're here to be encouraged by you. We're here to be corrected by you. We're here to be loved by you. Thank you, Lord. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and